Here we go. Father, I just thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for every person that's here. Lord, they're not here by accident. Lord, you brought them here today because, God, you desire to speak to us. And so, Lord, today we just step into the anointing that's in the house. Lord, we step into the calling, God, that's here for this house. And so, Lord, I'm just asking today, God, that there would just be a shifting in our hearts. Lord, wherever we're at, God, whatever situation we're in, God, I pray that there would be a shift. God, that would go more from doing things our way to doing things your way. Lord, we just give you permission today by the power of the Holy Spirit to grip our hearts with the things that grips your heart. God, we give you permission, God, to mess with us today. God, we give you permission to change us today. God, we give you permission uh, to, to place burdens on us that we've never had before. And so, Lord, we just thank you, God, for the opportunity to co-labor. And, Lord, that co-laboring doesn't mean that we can, uh, you know, it's, it's all about us. So often, God, we make Christianity about us, and it's not about us. And so, God, we're just asking today, God, that we could somehow partner in the burden that you carry, God, for people. God, that you said that you wish none would perish, but that all would come to repentance, that all would come to salvation. So, God, we're asking today just to open our eyes and our hearts and our ears, God, just in a new way. God, to see what you see, to hear what you hear, and to feel what you feel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, before we get started today in our fourth part of our current series, like I said, I want to share a few things with you on my heart. This morning as I was praying, I was actually reminded of something, and I'll just maybe read a part of it, from a book by Leonard Ravenhill. And I I typically try to stay away from from Leonard Ravenhill because when I read Leonard Ravenhill, I come out swinging. And it just just does something in me. It just, man, it makes me want to kick down trees, you know? Anyways, but this morning as I was praying, I, I remembered something that was in this book called Why Revival Tarries. And basically he starts off and he's telling this story about a man named Charlie Peace. Charlie Peace was basically a criminal of all criminals. The guy didn't give a rip about the law of God. He didn't give a rip about the law of man. He just kind of did what he wanted to do. And, and basically, as the story goes, all that kind of caught up with him. And Charlie Peace was actually sentenced to death. And so here he is. He's in Armley Jail or Armley Prison in Leeds, England. And what happens is, is it starts with the account of the guy that's there to kind of read him his last rites as he's on his death walk. I'll just pick it up and we'll go with it. It says, before him went the prison chaplain routinely and sleepily, y'all get that, the prison chaplain routinely and sleepily reading some Bible verses. Is that not so often what we do? Just kind of go through it. And I, I think the part of it today is this, is that we're just so used to hearing it, we act like it's not that big of a deal. Right? And then it says this, says the, it says, the criminal touched the preacher and asked what he was reading. The consolations of religion was the reply. Charlie Peace was shocked at the way he professionally read about hell. Could a man be so unmoved under the very shadow of the scaffold as to lead a fellow human there and yet dry-eyed read of a pit that has no bottom into which this fellow must fall? Could this preacher believe the words that there is an, uh, there is an eternal fire that never consumes its victims and yet slide over the phrase without a tremor? Is a man human at all who can say with no tears, you will be eternally dying and yet never know the relief that death brings? All this was too much for Charlie Peace, so he preached. Listen to his on the eve of hell sermon. This is what Charlie said. He said, sir, addressing the preacher, if I believed what you and the church of God say that you believe, get that, if I believed what you and the church of God say you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it, if need be, on hands and knees, and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul from eternal hell like that. And then Leonard says, my reader, because ch- the church has lost Holy Ghost fire, men go to hell fire. 
Let me give you another quote that I read almost 20 years ago. This has been messing with me again this week. Like I said, I read this over 20 years ago, and it's by one of the greatest soul winners that's ever lived. And anyways, his name's Charles Spurgeon. To kind of give you an idea of the context that he, was, that he was saying this in, he was saying it from the context of him preaching about selfishness and about the carelessness of others. And I know, you know, this can sound really strong, but, but listen, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. As a church, we have gotten so, we've gotten our eyes off of so much of what God has his eyes on, and we've put it on ourselves. It, you know, it's not, it's not like God doesn't care about us. He cares about us, cares about his needs. He's a good father. We get all of that. But so often we make all that Bible, we just read about what's for us. <laughs> Listen to this. Listen to what, what Charles said. I'll just say it this way. This thing has challenged me not to be idle or to be silent in my faith. And, and I hope basically you'll kind of find it equally as challenging. So here's what he said. He said, have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you are not saved yourself. Be sure of that. Told you it was strong. <laughs> have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you are not saved yourself. Be sure of that. He said the saving of souls. If a man has once gained love to perishing sinners and his blessed master will be an all-absorbing passion to him. In other words, this, if, you, if he is, somehow has a love for God and somehow has a love for people, the man, that, that, that the burden for souls will consume him. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, it will so carry him away that he will almost forget himself and the saving of others. That needs to happen. He will be like the stout, brave fireman who cares not for the scorch or the heat so that he may rescue the poor creature on whom true humanity has set its heart. If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with their arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Pretty sobering, huh? You know, sometimes, sometimes we can get so caught up in labeling and categorizing people, you know, if it's, if it's whatever, if it's to say it's a Muslim or if it's a Christian, if it's a liberal or if it's conservative, if the person is uh, transgender or if they're straight, if the person's, uh, you know, married or if they're single, if they're young or old, if they're educated, uneducated, if they're white collar, blue collar, no collar, all these things, right? We, we just get in all of these, all of this categorizing of people and we forget that there's really only two types of people in this world and that's the saved and the unsaved. Jesus refers to them as the sheep and the goats. Is that correct? Yes. Listen, I kind of like what Lauren Cunningham, he's the founder of YWAM, what he said as far as our interaction with those two groups. He said this. He said that you are either a missionary or a mission filled. You can't be both. Yeah. Are you hearing me? That you are either a missionary, meaning that you're saved, or a mission filled. You can't be both. It's kind of this. I'm maybe breaking it down for you. It's saying this, it's saying that you are either actively leading people into a salvation experience with the Lord Jesus Christ, or you personally need one yourself. Correct? In other words, there's no middle ground, there's no place to be idle. And if I could just maybe encourage everyone in this, because this isn't to beat anybody up, it's not any of that stuff, but it is to challenge you. To understand this, that every person in this room, that every Christian, that every believer should be, and can be a soul winner. To get that, should be and can be a soul winner. Now, in fact, let me just kind of go off for a minute here. If you have your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
There's a verse in here that we like to quote, but we stop at it. And we go no further. But let me show you today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're there, say, oh yeah. Look at verse 17. We'll even talk about this maybe later. We'll see how far we get. It says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We stop there. Keep reading. It says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Watch this next part. And you should underline your Bible. And has given us. Who's us? Every person that's become a Christian. Has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you get that? Has given every believer the ministry of reconciliation. That is soul winning. Here, let me, let me maybe help you out and kind of halfway to be dumb here. Who wants to be wise in this room? Who wants to be dumb in this room? Thank you for not raising your hands. The Bible says in Proverbs eleven thirty, it says, He who wins souls is wise. Just a thought for you there. All right, let's keep reading. Here we go. It says, given this the ministry of reconciliation, in verse 19 it says, that is, in other words, here's the ministry of reconciliation, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Get that, he's committed to you the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, and here's what ambassadors do, okay? We like to talk about the authority and the power, but here's what the authority and the power is for. Look at this. It says, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Do you get that? If you can kind of somehow get, your, get a mindset that, listen, every time you open your mouth for the gospel to tell somebody about Jesus, Christ is moving through you, imploring, begging, pleading with people to be reconciled to God. That's what the authority is for. Right? Here's what I found in my experience that even though, listen, even though they were called to be soul winners, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, I have found that most Christians, they dismiss that responsibility. They dismiss it. They act like they don't have it. They, and maybe even this, they dismiss the possibility of being that. And there's a few reasons why people do that. You know, maybe it's because of what Spurgeon said. Maybe it is because of selfishness. In other words, their eyes are so much on them and what they can get for themselves that they somehow forget about everybody else around them. Or maybe it's this. Maybe it's because uh, they believe that there's only a special few that are gifted enough for the gift of evangelism that can do it. In other words, it's like this. That there's this mentality that we come to the church, sit down, get dumb, fat, and happy, and we do nothing with what we've learned. And we go out and we come back next week. We're just obese as could be. And we forget that the pastor's job is to equip you, the people, to do the work of the ministry. And so there's that side, once again, that, listen, it's part of our job to equip you to be that, to be a soul winner. It's this understanding that I don't sit and just write auto every day. I may hop in there time to time and stay a while, right, because I like hanging out with these guys. But I don't sit there every day. But, you know, there's people that come in there every day that I will never have access to. My job is to help that man be prepared so when those people come, he can share it with them, Right? Let me say it this way. It is my job to partner with him in the preparation of doing that. Because that's part of the problem. People don't read their Bible. They just come and listen to somebody else give it to them. It's almost like this. This sounds strong. But it's almost like this. That as Christians, we're happy with being babies and just getting breast milk all the time. Somebody else got to process it for us. We got to learn to get in the Bible and get the meat and say, God, you got to talk to me. Amen. 
you know, for me, when, when I was in your spot, I came to church, yes, looking to learn, but also just for confirmation what I'm learning. Maybe it's because they think of some other people. Maybe it's because they feel inadequate, or maybe it's because of lack of preparation, kind of all those things. But, but once again, it, it's this idea that you have been called to the marketplace. Yes, yes it's you. It's you, it's you, it's you. And people are, people are more than what we would like to think. People are really wanting it. Yeah. You know, it's so easy to go, oh, man, we live in the, you know, we're wrestling with Vermont to see who could be the, the, the last Christian state in the nation who's got the least amount of Christians, right? And it's so easy to go, well, man, that's just, that's just where we live. And we think, man, it's, it's, it's liberal and it's dark and it's, you know, yeah, it's all those things. But last time I checked, Jesus can still move through all of that. <laughs> so, so it's almost like we excuse ourselves into just being silent. And go, well, nobody wants it. Tr- li- listen to me. People are born. The Bible, says in, the Bible says in Acts 17 that people were born groping for God. In other words, there's a desire in every person to want God. Let me make it in a really simple way. Who in here doesn't want to be loved? Who is love? Every person is wired by God to experience love, and that is the Lord. Amen? So they're looking for him. They just don't know who they're looking for. And I will remind you that the Bible says this. It says, how will they know unless someone is sent? How will they know unless someone opens their mouth and gives them the truth? Right? And, you know, there's this, there's this thing there that we wrestle with. And, man, I, you know, I've been in that spot where it's like, where it's like man, there's an opportunity. And you go... Do I want to say something? And fear hits you, right? And all those things. We've all been there, right? But, but there's that thing. I'll tell you what haunts me in that moment. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. And I have to ask myself, in that moment, am I ashamed? Because in my heart, maybe not your heart, I rewind to, if you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. But it's that thing, listen to me, because we, we look at so much, we look at when I open my mouth up, then they're just going to hear me. No, they're not. Once again, we read a while ago that Christ will implore through you, begging them to come. God does the talking. You just get to be the mouthpiece. And once again, it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, that's Romans 1.16, for it is the power of God to those who believe. If you want to see the power of God move in your life, start talking about the gospel. Amen? Let me show you a few things here. And this, by the way, is not my sermon today. <laughs> so maybe it is. We'll see. Let me show you a few things that when we say that God's called us to be a soul winner, just what we need. It's what we need, gang. Watch this. We need to believe that we can be one. We need to believe it, right? We need to believe it. You know, it's not like, oh, well, man, if I hang around Noah, Noah's one, and it'll make me feel better. There's old saying, nobody goes to heaven alone and nobody goes to hell alone. We take somebody with us. I, I remember when I was uh, 18 years old, I might have turned 19, and, and I remember one day I was, I was in the youth room of our church, and I've been praying for a few hours, and I prayed so long, and I talked so much, I wore myself out. I mean, it was like, it was literally, I remember going, sitting down by the wall, and it was like God was like, okay, finally you're done. You, you know, it's like you finally quit talking, now can I talk to you? Right? And I sat down, and in my mind's eye, I saw a picture, and basically everything was black, and I saw a ladder, and it, was, it wasn't suspended on anything, and I was climbing this ladder. And in the middle of that, I took about three rungs, and I turned around, and I looked, and I saw all these people behind me. 
And I realized that it wasn't like I was in a line. I realized by the Lord that those were people that I was bringing with me. So we need to believe that we can be a soul winner. And to get out there, we need to be courageous, right? We'll get ahead of ourselves. Number two, we need to care about people's eternity. We need to care. We need to care about people's eternity. Then the next one is we need to have courage. Because, listen, there is fear involved. Plain and simple. Now, let me help you out here. Courage doesn't mean that there's an absence of fear. Courage just means it's what you do in spite of fear. Okay? Because we're all going to feel it, right? Because the devil does not want us to say anything. Number four, we got to know what we believe. Can I just be frank here? Hi, I'm Frank. <laughs> I'm amazed by how many Christians that just regurgitate what they've heard somebody else say when it comes to what they believe. And they can't find it themselves in the Bible. I know that's an ouch, but it's true. It's very, very true. We run around and say, I believe this, I believe that. Well, you just heard that on TV. Number five, we need to be able to communicate what we believe. So let me say this, and this is a challenge. This is a direct challenge. I used to get so frustrated with our school of ministry students in North Carolina because there would be times where a teacher would come in and they would teach, and they had this attitude, Not it wasn't often, but they would have this attitude of, oh, I've heard this before. And that's really where the church is at in a lot of ways. You know, you can parallel that to when Jesus came to his home, hometown, and they just said he's common. That's him as a common guy. Oh, we know him, right? But here's what I told them, is because they said, well, I've heard that before. I've heard that before. I've heard that before. If you've been in church a while, you've heard that before. Okay, most of the time when you go chasing a new doctrine, it's going to end you in a ditch. It's true. We're all chasing stuff because we want to, we want to, woo, goosebump, whatever. Be careful. What I would challenge those guys with is this, is not if you've heard it before, but can you effectively communicate it? Can you, not somebody in a pulpit, not the guy teaching, not just and go, oh, okay, I've heard it before, but can you effectively communicate what you say that you've heard so often? Isn't that true? Yes, yes it's true. I'll tell myself, yes, it's true. Amen, brother. We need those things. Let me show you a passage of scripture. I was supposed to tell you at the top, but, but I'm going to tell you now. Turn to Acts 8. It's not going to be up on the screen. Acts 8. Please bring your Bible to church, to church, to church. Acts chapter 8. Look at verse 26. Verse 26 says, Now to kind of give you a heads up, I was Philip. He'd been in preaching in a city. The power of God had been moving. And, and God snatched him out of there and told him to go somewhere else. Watch this. It says verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert or deserted place. And it says, So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, watch this, and had come to Jerusalem to worship. Notice where he went. He went to Jerusalem looking for God. He was looking. And then it says, and notice that that's a heathen nation where he came from. It says, verse 28 says, He was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. He was seeking. He was looking. Verse 29 says, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. Let me tell you this real quick. This opportunity would have never happened if Philip wasn't already prepared. If you're not prepared, you hinder your ability to hear from the Lord and have opportunities. It's when you're prepared, when you're prayed up, when you're ready to go, and God says, that's the one, then you go, okay, that's the one. 
you know, right? And watch this. Let me show you what confidence does in a situation. It says, so Philip ran. He ran. He didn't drag his feet. He didn't argue with God. He knew what he knew. He believed what he knew. He could communicate, and he ran. And says, uh, and he heard him, the eunuch, reading the prophet Isaiah and said, he said, do you understand what you're reading? Now watch this. Let me pause right there. Most of you guys would go, man, God gave him an opportunity on a silver platter. He doesn't do that for me. Watch this. The other day I was in a car with a man that I've been witnessing to. And I've been trying to work on, my, me and my family have been praying and praying and praying and praying and praying for this guy. And we're going, in the, we're in the car, we're riding down the road. And in my heart I said, God, please give me an opportunity to talk to him about Jesus today. I do not lie. A minute and a half later, he looks at me and says, Quentin, he says, uh, what do I need to do to get saved? Glad you asked, right? <laughs> but listen, God will do that. There's a guy, an old prayer warrior named John Hyde. They call him Praying Hyde. He prayed so much, they gave him the nickname, Praying Hyde. He had such a burden for souls that he began to pray for an hour a day, an hour a day for one soul. That hour went to two hours, to three hours, to four hours. I think he got all the way up to eight hours. That man would be sleeping in the middle of the night. Someone would knock on his door. He would go to the door, open it up, and they'd say, tell me how to get saved. See, the thing is, what we sometimes forget is that God, when we're walking along and he prompts us, we forget that he's already went before us and prepared the way. Right? He's not going to send us to a spot that it's just to, now listen, it may be, we may be there to sow, we may be there to water, we may be there to reap, but God's already prepared the heart in some way for that seed to hit and for it to produce something. Amen? So then it goes on and it says this. It says, do you understand what you are reading? In verse 31 it says, and he said, how can I unless someone guides me? How can I unless someone guides me? The other day, Noah and I got told that there's a young man that works at Hannaford's. Uh, oh, Carol, that was here a few weeks ago. Carol's, she's bold and crazy as they come. I love Carol. She asked some boy behind the counter, hey, do you know something about Jesus? She said, I really don't get all the uh, Christianity stuff, but somebody had talked to me, I'd listen. You with me? So they're there, right? All right, so here we go. And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. In verse 32, it says, the place in the scripture which he read was this. It says, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth, and his humiliation, his justice was taken away. It says, and who will declare his generation, and his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch asked Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? The whole reason I read this was to get to this verse. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at the scripture, he preached what? He preached Jesus to him. Here's my question for you today. Is this, is when that moment arises for you, because if you set your heart to be a soul winner, it will come. And that moment, what are you going to give? Are you going to give your opinion? Or are you going to give Jesus? Because your opinion is not going to save anybody. Can I be honest with you? Nobody really cares your opinion on politics anyways. And we run around and we spend all of our time talking about stupid stuff that really doesn't help nobody. I mean, me griping about it ain't going to change anything. Me praying about it probably will, though. But if I gripe about it, it's going to cancel out my prayers anyways. So maybe I shouldn't gripe about it. Now we're going to go into the message. So here's kind of the thing today. Today I'm going to talk to you about stuff that is 
super basic. You've all understood it. Obviously, we're in a uh, series that's about foundations. Well, obviously, when you talk about foundation stuff, if you've been in church a while, you're going to know it. But once again, I don't want us just to brush it off mentally. I, I want us to, to maybe sit back today and hear it with new ears and just go, okay, maybe, maybe this can help me when I begin to step out as a soul winner. Okay, so I want you to hear from that, that side, and maybe hear the heart of God, and to go, okay, how can I maybe equip myself better so when that opportunity comes, then I can step in with boldness. All right, so listen, the scripture reference that we've been using, once again, this part four has been Hebrews 6, 1 and 2. And in that scripture, there's a list of six things to help us establish our foundation, okay? I, I want to focus on connecting the first one and the second one today, repentance from dead works and faith toward God. And to do this, I want to start off by focusing on two words, the word from and the word toward. Can somebody say from? from. Say toward. Awesome. See if you say it any better than me. What an awkward word to say. Here we go. The word from means this in the Greek language. It means a separation which causes the fellowship of two to be destroyed. And it's so often we read the Bible and we breeze right by those words, but yet they hold great significance. That the word from means a separation which causes the fellowship of two to be destroyed. So what God is saying here in Hebrews 6, he's saying that when we truly repent of the sins or we truly repent of doing things our way, at that moment the power of God steps in and he destroys the fellowship that we've had with sin. Pretty awesome, huh? That when we truly repent, he steps in and he breaks up the relationship. It's kind of like this. Recently, we have been praying that there's a, that there's a young lady that is with someone, and we'll go into all the details that they don't, so they shouldn't be with. Okay? If I told you the whole story, you'd understand why. We have been believing God to break that up, and last week, God broke it up. Amen. So that's a really, really good thing. And so just the way God would break up this ungodly relationship, he comes in and he breaks our relationship up with sin. Okay, so listen, this is why the Bible says in Hebrews 6, 14, it says that sin shall not, somebody say shall not, have dominion over you. Also, the Bible says, we read it early in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what's gone? It says that the old is gone. Somebody say gone. That's gone and the new has come. Once again, the fellowship is broken. Now watch this. Notice that last part says the old is gone and the new has come. Here's what's so cool about God is he never turns us away from something like sin without moving us toward something else. Now look at this. Bible says in Colossians 1.13, says that he has delivered us from, somebody say from, from the power of darkness, that he has come and broken our fellowship with darkness, and he's conveyed or he's transferred us toward or into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Now, the word toward, it means this. It means in the direction of, but get this, that with the goal of obtaining, with the goal of obtaining. So once again, bringing those two together, the bridge here, connecting them, is when we truly repent, God's power destroys one relationship so that we can be brought into another relationship or brought towards another relationship. And we all know, because we've been in church for a while, that relationship is what? It's with him, correct? Thus, we'll just say it this way. That toward means obtaining. Now, how do we obtain this relationship we're talking about? Once again, there in Hebrews 6, it says faith toward God. So we, we obtain this relationship with God through faith. Everybody listen to me. It is not by your feelings. It is by faith because there's going to be more days you feel unsaved than you feel saved. Amen. But you got to have faith. Maybe you're not like me. This morning I woke up, I didn't feel too saved. 
<laughs> all right, moving along, messing with y'all. All right, here we go. Look at this verse here, though. Look at these two verses. Jesus said this in Mark 1, 15. He says this. He says, repent and believe. Somebody say believe. believe. We know that believe is another word for faith. In other words, the two are interchangeable throughout the Bible. Now, Hebrews eleven six talking about obtaining this relationship. Eleven six reaffirms this. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Talking about God. For he who comes or he who moves toward God must believe or have faith that he is. Now, I don't know about you, but in my experience, the word faith it can be confusing sometimes. The meaning of it can be confusing sometimes to people. In other words, it says this, it says that. But uh, let me give it to you in a really, really simple way today. Faith simply means this. It means to trust in, to have confidence in, and to rely on. Really simple. To trust in, to have confidence in, and to rely on. Let me help you really easily here. This morning when you walked in and you picked your seat, most of you picked a seat that you normally sit in because we're creatures of habit, right? And you automatically just flopped your butt down. You just sat down. You just bloop, bloop, sat down. Nobody picked up the chair, shook every leg, pushed on the cushion, and inspected that thing to make sure it could hold you. You put your faith that that chair was going to hold you, yes? Now, some of you, but most of you did not go to your car this morning and pray for five minutes and believe God for a miracle that your car would crank. You just, you just turned the key, and you had faith that that thing was going to crank, right? You trusted in it. You relied on it. You had confidence that when I turned this key, the car is going to come alive. Yes? So, n- listen, nobody went to bed last night, you know, wringing your hands, worried, sweating, crying out to God, hoping that the sun would come up this morning. At 4.48 or whatever it was this morning, some god-awful hour, right? The sun came up, and my bedroom has no curtains, so we feel the effect, all right? But listen, there's this thing that the Bible says this. I I love it. The Bible says, as surely as the sun will rise, the Lord will appear. Awesome. But it's, it's this thing. It's like we put faith and confidence and rely on so many things around us that we just think that they're going to happen. Do you understand what kind of miracle it is that the sun comes up every day, but yet we can't believe that God's going to put food on the table? Listen, he's able. Amen? All right, so let's talk about faith here, okay? So watch this. When it comes to Mark one fifteen, repent and believe, what do we trust in? What do we put in our confidence? What are we relying on? What has God asked us to do? Let's look at the rest of the verse. It says, repent and believe or have faith in the what? In the what? In the gospel. In the gospel. I told you this is so simple. To have faith in the gospel. Now, what's the gospel? And we know it's obviously the message of the kingdom. It is the message of the kingdom. You can't get away from it. You cannot get away from it. It's the message of the kingdom. It's the message that you put your faith in when you became a Christian. And it's also the message that every one of us in this room should be able to communicate clearly to someone else. So here we go. Let me give you five core truths of the gospel. Five core truths. Once again, you know all of them. And I could have used probably a hundred more scriptures in this. So if I left out your favorite verse, don't get mad at me. I try to keep it simple. So these are five core truths of the gospel that we should be able to clearly communicate to anyone. If it's our friend, family member, some random dude on the park bench, we should be able to rattle this off, okay? When your friend turns to you and says, tell me how to get saved, you better have this in your heart. You need to have this in your heart. You can also put it this way. This is what we have. We've put our faith in. So number one, that Jesus is the Son of God. 
Jesus is, is the Son of God. Do not blow that off. That one revelation sets us apart from everybody. Yes, that we believe who he says he is. Okay, you can jot down there in your notes John 1.1, 1, 1, John 1.14, 1, and John 3.16 to kind of help you bring that in there, okay? So you can also make a note there aside that Jesus is God in the flesh. But I want to focus on another scripture. That was John 1.1, 1, 1, John 1.14, John 3.16 and 17. Here we go. Matthew 1, 20 through 21. It says this, it says, But while he, talking about Joseph, thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. It says, For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. It says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. And obviously this verse is pointing to the purpose of why Jesus came. But the part I want us to see is the importance of the virgin birth. The importance of the virgin birth. Do you guys understand what I mean when I say it sets this apart? Yes? So in other words, it's like if you take somebody from Islam, you take a Jehovah's Witness, take a person in Mormonism, a Hindu, whatever. All those people acknowledge Jesus in some way, but they don't acknowledge him as being the son of God. They don't acknowledge him as being God. A lot of those basically say he was a prophet or they put him like somewhere like he's just equal with us. Wrong. Because here's the thing, though, guys, listen to this. If you remove Jesus out of the equation, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if you remove who Jesus is, there's no way to heaven. So it's really, really important that you understand this truth that Jesus is the Son of God. So let's talk about why the virgin birth is essential to the Christian faith. So we know that going all the way back, Genesis 3, when Adam was in the garden, we know that Adam is the father of mankind, right? That he is the earthly father of mankind. Not only is he the earthly father, but he's also the representative of mankind, okay? And we also know that, that this, I'll say it this way, that within Adam's loins, basically all of mankind was in his seat. That's the Christian version. All right, here we go. So... <laughs> But listen, but when Adam disobeyed, when he sinned against God in the garden, every person after that who was born of his seed was born into sin. Every one of us were born into sin. We were born with a sin nature. Not only were we born with a sin nature, or may I say, because we were born with a sin nature, we were born separated from God. The Bible tells us this in Romans 5.12. It says, therefore, just as through one man, talking about Adam, sin entered the world, and death, talking about spiritual death, through sin. And then it says, and thus, spiritual death spread to all men because all sin. Once again, because we were all of his seed. So watch this. The reason it's important that Jesus had to be conceived of the Holy Spirit or the seed of the Holy Spirit is because he needed to be born of a seed that was incorruptible, a seed that was perfect, a seed that was sinless, and not of the seed of a sinful man. If I can give it to you in a really simple way, is how could, if he was born of just some average Joe, normal guy, if it was Joseph the carpenter, then how could he free us from the bondage of sin if he himself was still in it? Make sense? So he had to be born outside of it or above it, however you want to word it, or he couldn't have done what he did. Now look at Romans 5.19 with me. It says, For as by one man's, talking about Adam's, disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's, Jesus' obedience, many will be made righteous. If I just say it this way, kind of out of here, the first Adam, 
which is obviously Adam in the garden, came in, and we know if you go all the way to Luke 4, he fell in the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Okay, if you look at all three of those things, they're all there in the story. And then when fast forward to the second Adam, or the last Adam, which is Jesus, came, and when he had his temptation moment in Luke 4, he was basically tempted by all three of those things. So where at the first Adam fell, the second Adam got victory back, right? He grabbed a hold of back of what Adam lost. Okay, I'm just trying to give you the fast version here. So when we talk about basically being made righteous, let's go to this. Number two, the second thing we have faith in, second thing we should be able to share is that Jesus took the punishment of sin. Once again, that we've all blown it, right? So once again, we're all born in sin. We're all born with the sin nature. The Bible reaffirms this in Romans 3.23. It says, for all. Somebody say all. Turn to your neighbor and say, that includes you. Y'all were scared to do that. All right, here we go. You sinner. All right, anyway, so it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, every person has missed God's divine standard at some point in their life, right? And it's kind of like this. Once again, if you, let's break it down. The Bible simply says this, that if you've even lied one time, you're guilty of all the judgment. If you've looked at someone and had lust in your heart, you're guilty, right? If you dishonored your parents at some point, then you're guilty. I mean, you kind of keep going down the list, right? That we've all blown it. We've all missed it. Somehow, we accidentally took a pen from the bank. You stole something. You thief, right? Yes? Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? In other words, we're all guilty. At some point, we miss the boat, okay? Now, what's the consequence or the outcome of that sin? Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. If I am talking to somebody and I'm trying to let them know what that verse means, here's the way I personally set it up. For the wages, everybody in America understands what a wage is. Okay? You work for a month, you work for a time period, and you say at some point, show me the money. Right? Give me my wage. In other words, I, my efforts have earned this. And so we're talking about for the wages or the earnings of sin, what has our sin, our poor choices, what have they earned us? They've earned us death. How awesome is that? They've earned a spiritual separation from God and ultimately eternal separation. Because we all know if a person dies in that spot, hell is not a figment of our imagination. It is a real place, right? There is not a, you know, as some would preach that it's just you hit this fire and you're no more. No, you hang out there for eternity. So watch this. Because God is holy and because he is righteous, he will not allow sin into heaven. That's his domain. He will not allow sin into heaven in his home. It's kind of like this. If it was your house, would you let just somebody come in there that you know is going to act a fool? Would you? I would not. They would find the exit very quickly. So listen, also with that, as a holy God, obviously he has to judge sin, right? He wouldn't be a righteous judge if he didn't judge sin. So kind of keep that in mind. We'll kind of move on because obviously there's a good part of this verse when you swing it because y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. It is this, is that Romans 6.23, the other half, says, But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here it is, for the wages earning of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we all know that the gift of eternal life, eternal salvation, it's free, right? Yes. Right? Is it free? Yes. In other words, you can't earn it. Okay, it's free. But here's what you've got to realize. There is no such thing as a free gift. You guys that are parents, right, Christmas morning, there's the gifts. The kids run in, Wah! right? 
They get what they want or what they didn't want, right? So, but they got it. They, they love that new pair of socks and those underwear, okay? Whatever. So they, they, got, they, they got a gift, right? And they're pumped. Now, did they pay for that gift? No. Did you pay for that gift? Yes, because Santa Claus isn't real. Just kidding. All right. Shouldn't have said that. All right. The Bible shows, let's move on, how that price was paid in Romans 5, 8, and 9. 5, 8, and 9. It says this. It says, but God demonstrator shows us his own love toward us, that in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's pretty awesome, huh? It says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Powerful verse. Basically, this thing is saying this. It's saying that he took our place, that he endured our punishment. Once again, because God had to judge sin. And thankfully, Jesus came and said, I'll take it, right? And because Jesus took the wrath, he took the punishment, we're now declared not guilty. Let me give it to you in another way. Jesus cashed the paycheck. Watch this. That he reaped what you sowed. So we sowed all this stuff that should have brought punishment, and he said, hey, I'll I'll reap that for you. I'll take it. Because we always talk about reaping good stuff, not the bad stuff. And here's what's so awesome is we get to reap what he sowed, which is righteousness. Amen? Number three, we have faith in this, that Jesus was buried for three days, right? It's important that you understand that Jesus was physically dead. Number four, we're going to combine these two. He rose again. He rose again. All right, so let's combine these, and we're, we're moving along here. 1 Corinthians fifteen three through 6. It says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, there's number three, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Powerful. Remember, the Bible says that 500 people watched him ascend back into heaven. Now, what was the purpose of this? We all know that the purpose of him resurrecting from the dead meant that the price that he paid, right, the sacrifice that he paid, that the Father was saying, I accept that. So that was proof, okay? But on the other side, what's the purpose of it? Look at Hebrews two fourteen and 15. This is the hope that you're trying to give people. Because at some point, watch this. Some point, people got to understand, man, you have sinned, and that sin is this. But Jesus didn't leave us there. He brought hope. Amen? Thank God for that. By the way, can I tell you something? That it's the Holy Spirit's job to convince people of their sins, not us. Okay? And that's the most difficult part with telling people about Jesus because they don't get it a lot of times. He needs to turn the light on. But make sure he turns the light on and you don't, you don't, you know, kick him in the head and turn the light on, whatever, right? Because a lot of times that's why people don't want to talk to us. All right, Hebrews two fourteen and 15. says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. It's a great place to say amen. It says, that is the devil. Verse 15 says, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. See, that's why it's so different when you go to a funeral of a person who's a non-believer versus a person who was a believer. A few years ago when my uncle died, man, there was just great mourning in our family. Yes, because it was an absolute shock. But the other piece is is because the finality of it. Because he didn't know Jesus unless something shifted there in the last minute. Okay? That was the tough part. You know, and then moved to where my grandmother passed away last year. 
you know, people were sad because we loved her, but there was also a rejoicing there because we knew that she was saved. She's a Christian. Because there's that peace that, you know, if you're a believer, you don't have to fear death. Right? There's a, there's a place of mourning here. But, man, those people are in such a better spot than what we are right now. Amen? All right, so watch this. Revelations 1.18. Once again, we're talking about the Jesus resurrecting. This is what we believe. It says, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen? And then it says, and I have the keys of Hades and of death. So here's what this means. Is that by Jesus' burial and resurrection, he has conquered the devil and holds the keys of life and death. He has also broken the fear of death over his people. So it's this. The Bible says that we'll no longer face the sting of death. That's great. Because as believers, once again, to be reminded to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. What great news, right? Last one. Here we go. We have faith in this. We have faith, number five, by grace we are saved. By grace, by grace, by grace, by grace. I'll say this. I drove by a certain church here. It's not a church like we believe, but a church. And nonetheless, and all these people were outside working. And all I could think about was how many of those people were out there with the mindset that they were trying to earn their way to heaven. Those people go and they knock on your doors. They're trying to earn their way to heaven. Well, let me rephrase that. They only believe 144,000 are going to heaven. They're trying to just hang out on the earth. So thankfully, that's not us. We're not trying to earn it. Jesus has already done the work, right? So it says this in Ephesians 2, 8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, so it is the gift of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Now watch this. Just a few verses. If you're going to witness to someone, you have to take them here at some point. Romans 10, 13. Talking about how do we get saved? How do we get this relationship? It says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord... Whoever calls on the reputation or what he has done, all those things we just talked about, shall be what? Shall be saved. That they shall be rescued. In other words, that the punishment of their sin is now passes them over, right? And they don't get it, which is great news. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe, what is believe once again? Have faith in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. It says, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So it's really simple. Here we go. Here's the pieces that you want to tell people when, when you're working this process with them, okay? This is kind of the, for lack of a better term, the benefit package of believing in your heart and confession of faith. I need to stop there. I should fill the check. Can I say this? I think part of our problem is, and I just said it, and so I repent is we, we just want to give the benefit package instead of going, man, he really came to be your Lord. So many people want a Savior, but they don't want a Lord. And to understand that when we come to Christ, it's not just, yes, it, it is our sins are forgiven. Thank God for that. Thankfully, we get a new start. Thankfully, he comes and makes us home. Is Thankfully, you know, we, we get to go to heaven, all those things. But at the end of the day, man, he wants to be the owner of our lives. And the owner of our decision. So watch this. So the man that says, this is my money, and I'm going to do what I want with my money, you've missed lordship. Right? The person that says, you know, it's my life. I'm going to work where I want to work, and I'm going to live where I want to live, and I'm going to do what I want to do. You've missed lordship. There's a spot that's humility that says, God, you're in control. Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? Right? And it's even this, gang, that when we wake up in the morning... Thank God for another day, but I'm here for a reason. God, what's that reason? And I'm not saying God doesn't let us have fun because he does. Thankfully for that, 
because we need times of refreshing. But at the end of the day, man, God, what's on the menu today from you? What do you want to do? Right? I'm yours. Amen? There is no, you know, I'm half on the throne, he's half on the throne. Yeah. Now, the Bible says that I'm on the cross. For I've been crucified with Christ, I no longer live the life I now live by faith. Right? So the faith life is a, is a crucified life. So that's me. He's on the throne. Amen? Y'all got quiet right there. That's truth. There's an old saying, and I'll say this because it's true. It's strong, but it's true. It says this, that religion is hanging around the cross. Christianity is getting on the cross. So it's I die daily so others might live. So let me just show you something, and we're, we're going to be done. But I've been really wondering how I'm going to end all morning, and I still don't know. <laughs> Is that all right to tell you guys that? Let me just show you this. Whatever. Some of you guys take pictures of slides and stuff like that. I think one of the intimidating parts when we go witnessing to people is, okay, if I get them to that point, what do I do with them? Right? If they say, okay, I'm, re- I'm ready to make a commitment, what do I do? Okay, so part of that is it's not just, okay, it's, let's repeat this prayer, right? We, we read the verses. We know that the prayer that we pray is based off of Romans ten thirteen, Romans 10, 9, and 10, the confession of faith and the believing in the heart. But sometimes we get lost there. So let me just show you this. I, I typed out just a generic form of the confession of faith, okay? And it would simply go like this. Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that you died for my sins, that you were buried, that you rose again on the third day. I now repent of my sins and come to you for mercy and forgiveness. By faith in your promise, right, to grace, I receive you personally as my Savior and confess you as my Lord. Come to my heart, give me eternal life, and make me a child of God. Amen. You can take a picture of that. It's just really simple. But the reason I say that is because sometimes I think we try to make it more, I don't know, we try to get all sophisticated with people. I'm amazed, and I'm going to pick on some people here, how you talk normal, but you pray in King James. <laughs> is that true it's true it's like it's like when you when you get holy you got to get elizabethan or whatever that thing was shakespearean just be normal with people is that okay y'all don't want to be normal with people listen let, let me maybe say to you the region we live in you just need to be normal in my little short stint here here's what i found out about this region people are really turned off by religion they're really turned off all these people that I talked to about Jesus along the way, typically they have been in some old, dried-up, crusty church that had a bunch of legalism in it, and they want nothing to do with it now. And the sad part is, is all that doesn't represent him. It doesn't. And I'm not saying that to be little in those places, but it's just true. It does not represent God. Amen? So let's stand to our feet. I don't know if that helps anybody, but... It's pretty basic, pretty simple. You guys get to go home and I get to spend the rest of the day wondering if I should have said those things. <laughs> Until tomorrow too. Anyways, it'll be good. So watch this. Here's what I want to do, okay? I want us to extend our faith and believe God that he'll make us soul winners. Is that okay? So once again, that's all basic. Throw up the top, the five things that I said earlier at the very top there, Johnny, about if, if you're going to be a soul winner, you need these things. Yeah. So that's what we're going to pray for today. Gang, we can do this. The Bible says in in Acts 17, 26, that that God has pre-appointed our time and our boundaries. What does that mean? That wherever you live in this region, he puts you here for a purpose. 
and he handpicked you to be born in this time period, okay? You, you know, we all like to quote what, it, what the Bible says about Esther, for such a time as this. But I'm telling you today, for such a time as this, that you have been placed here on the planet, on this region, because this region needs you. It needs the God that's inside of you. Amen? So don't shy away. Don't back away. Don't be ashamed. Be bold as a lion. Let the lion roar. All right? And let him speak out of you so people can know the truth. Amen? Amen. So let's, uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to pray these five things over. If you don't mind, just if you say, God, make me a soul winner, lift your hands. And we're going to believe that Jesus is going to shift something in our hearts today. Yeah. Father, we come to you today in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we recognize today that you've given every one of us the ministry of reconciliation. If we have made you Lord and Savior of our lives, God, you have made us ministers of reconciliation. God, that you've called us to be soul winners. God, that you've called us to be people that can effectively communicate the gospel. And so, Lord, I'm asking today, God, for every person that their hands are up, God, that you would begin to establish in greater measures, in greater ways, in greater maturity, uh, in just a greater understanding, a greater revelation of the gospel. God, that it wouldn't be something that we would sit just in some, um, you know, some, some baby area in, but God, we could grow in it. And Lord, I'm just asking God, as they even read the Bible, God, that you can connect all the scriptures that are in there, because it's really just about that message. Everything in the book is about that message. And God, help us not to steer away from it. God, help us not to just make things about ourselves, but God, help us to begin to care about what you care about. And Lord, we know that's people. God, that you care about people, that you said that you have placed eternity in every person's heart, and the clock is ticking for someone today. And so, Lord, we just ask, God, that you would begin to uh, do what we do what's up there, God, that we begin to have a, a confidence, God, in our hearts, that you are inside of us. And, God, that when we open our mouths, God, that you are pleading with people, God, to be born again, that we are not coming in our own authority, but, God, when we open our mouth, that the authority of heaven is flowing out of us, the message of heaven, the anointing of heaven is flowing out of us, God. And Father, we just thank you, God, that as we speak, God, that it doesn't land on deaf ears. Father, we thank you, God, that you're even now preparing people's hearts to hear the gospel message. And not only to hear it, but also to receive it in Jesus' name. So, Father, thank you today for courage. Lord, we just thank you that fear is being broken off of people in this place. Father, we thank you that we no longer have to be afraid or scared. The bottom line is, is we have the truth. What are we going to turn people off to? Hell number two? Plain and simple, God, let us just begin to be uh, bold for the gospel in Jesus' name. And, Father, help us to know in this room what we believe. God, help us to know what we know, what we know, what we believe, and not just repeat what everybody else is saying. But, God, help us know from Genesis to Revelation, God, you haven't called us to be ignorant, and you haven't called us to be idle. And so, Lord, we just ask, God, that you begin to stir in our hearts, God, a hunger for your word like we've never had before. And the last thing there, God, we just pray, God, that you would give us the ability. God, you've wired us all in unique ways ways. God, everybody's not called to be a theologian. Uh, Lord, you've, you've given us our own personalities, our own giftings. And God, we're just asking God that you would help us communicate clearly, God, what we believe. And Lord, we just thank you, God, once again. Lord, we just, you can put your hands down through your hurt in there if your exercise moment's done. Um, but Lord, we just cry out, God, and we ask you today, God, just for this region. God, we pray for souls in Jesus' name. God, we ask, God, that you would begin to go uh, literally to Rockport, to Camden, God, to Rockland, God, to South Thomaston, to Thomaston, to St. George, God, of friendship, to Port Clyde. Uh, God, we pray, God, that you would move, God, even on up the coast, God, to, to, to uh, Lincoln, God, to, or Lincolnville, God, to, uh, my mind's going blank, Jesus, help me. If we're going to Northport, Belfast, God, Union, Warren, God, all these things, Edgecombe from a man over here, God, all these people, Lord, that just 
us live all over the place. God, you put us there to be shining lights, God, to be lighthouses for the gospel. And Lord, we're just asking, God, that those souls will begin to come in. God, we pray, God, that people would show up at our door and say, tell me how to get saved. God, we pray, God, that we'd find ourselves driving in the car, being in the grocery store, and people say, man, tell me about Jesus. Father, we thank you, God, at that moment, we will not give our opinion, but we will give the gospel. And so, Lord, thank you, God, for just drawing people in, north, south, the east, and the west, God, just to bring them into the kingdom. God, snatch them out of the kingdom of darkness. Snatch them out of fire, God. Lord, we just believe for that today, God. In Jesus' name, God, brand us, God, to be soul winners, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.